Salutations, greetings, and hello, dear pod people. This is Kathy Serline, and you are listening to Wisdom Within, the podcast for all those living with mental health conditions and all those fine folks who support us, all fine humans. We are delighted to have you with us today as we celebrate our 20th episode of the podcast, begun just in February of 2019, and we're now in mid-April, so we are delighted that we have been able to come this far in such a short span of time. We're delighted to know that we have listenership not only around the country or in America, but across the globe. Uh, It's a small pool of listeners still, but we are growing every day, and we thank all of you for your support and your listenership and your participation in Wisdom Within. We have a nice show for you today. We have a couple of segments. The first, we're going to look at what holds us up when the world feels like it's falling apart. And then we have another good segment for you uh, that kind of takes a look at the concept of considering the quality of your day from the standpoint of your to-be list rather than your to-do list interesting concept. Uh, Get settled in, get comfy. The show dogs, Bella and Biggs, are doing the same, nestling in for a nice little nappy poo while we uh, work on our show today. Um, Bella is already asleep, and Biggs is ruffling up the blankets around him. He likes to make a nice little cocoon for himself uh, as he settles in for his nap. So with that thought in mind, Hang with us, folks. We're going to be right back and bring you today's episode on Wisdom Within. Thank you so much for being here. We'll be right back. Welcome back, dear listeners, to Wisdom Within. We are beginning our show today with a segment uh, that is actually based in an article on 10percenthappier.com uh, called When the World Falls Apart. It's by Jay Michelson. Um, This was actually shared by a dear friend of mine, the lovely Renee down in Georgia. Um, And for for folks who may be new to the show, uh, a lot of times I find great writings, they get shared with me or I come across them through a multitude of great resources, and they really resonate with me uh, as far as my own journey is concerned. And so um, recognizing that um, this isn't going to be uh, necessarily ought easily shared everywhere in writing, I feel like I can bring it to folks um, in a different way by bringing it to you as a reading uh, here on the podcast. So um, I probably didn't say that exactly right, and that's what podcasts are all about. We don't get it all right. It's not necessarily something that's completely scripted. Uh, we read our articles um, or interpret our articles, and um, hopefully you can find uh, some wisdom within in some of those that can help you along on your journey. So this is entitled, When the World Falls Apart, by J. Michelson. Like many of you, I watched in horror as one of the world's greatest works of art, the Notre Dame Cathedral in Paris, was severely damaged by fire. I found myself reeling, The strength of my reaction surprised me. Although I had visited the cathedral and studied it in art history class, 
I have no special connection to Notre Dame. I'm neither French nor Catholic, and yet I feel personally attacked, like a part of me has been torn out. I remember feeling this way on 9-11, too, as though civilization itself was falling apart, as though the ground had shaken beneath my feet. Even though this fire was an accident, it feels like a symbol of how so much of our civilization seems to be crumbling in front of our eyes. Civility and reason and science, truth, not to mention the stability of our planet's climate on which our civilization depends. I've been meditating for about 20 years now. Mindfulness has become my default mental position. So I didn't have to be consciously checking in or ground myself in the present moment. I did so almost reflexively. The world is falling apart. And also, here's the sensation of pressure on my leg. Here's the rising and falling of my chest as I breathe. One doesn't negate the other. I'm not taking a deep breath to try to calm down and pretend everything is just fine. Mindfulness is a yes and not a yes, but. Meaning, this is what is happening. And also, here I am. Mindfully aware, centered in my present moment experience, and thus not feeding the cycles of shock and fear and rage and grief. The latter doesn't negate the former. I'm not shouting serenity now to drown out the truth of what's happening, to massage and aromatherapy myself into a pleasant narcissistic somnolence. I'm just grounding myself in these very simple embodied sensations that are with me in every conscious moment. Here I am. And from there, from that base of presence, several successive insights arise. First, I can be present with fear and not be carried away by it. When something as foundational to Western civilization as Notre Dame can simply disappear in an instant, I'm reminded that life is terrifying and unpredictable. It's scary as hell. It's also tra a tragic loss for humanity. I don't want to make those feelings go away. On the contrary, I want to feel that fear and loss. I'm human. I'm engaged with this world. And this is how I'm feeling. At the same time, I also don't want to panic or indulge in conspiracy theories. And yes, those have already begun. Or lash out at my partner because I've been unsettled by news. The space of mindfulness and calm allows me to feel these emotions to recognize them for what they are, and also to be aware that they're swirling around. Be careful, I tell myself, and be gentle. Second, yes, there is the foundational insight found in philosophical and spiritual traditions the world over, that this too shall pass. Everything is impermanent, even 800-year-old cathedrals, even things that we basically take for granted. I'm not sure when I last thought of Notre Dame. It's certainly not part of my life, but it's part of the scenery of the world that I had until this week, taken for granted. It's just part of the world, 
until it isn't. Everything can be taken away in an instant. To deny this is to deny reality. To affirm it means to live courageously in the face of radical impermanence. I've heard people say that focusing on impermanence is gloomy or morbid, but to me the opposite is true. Life is so completely uncertain, so random, so unpredictable that our moments of authenticity, of happiness, of love and connection are incredibly precious. Finally, there's the human truth of loss and grief and pain. And that part is gloomy, I admit. Suffering happens. We love people and we lose them. We love things and they're gone. I see even now how my mind is trying to shield me from the painful sense of loss by moving away from that sensation towards stories about what this fire means on some metaphorical level, or for that matter, how mindfulness can be grounding and instructive. This, too, is human. We take refuge in what brings us comfort. It's natural to open an umbrella in the rain. And yet, what unites us is the emotional truth that precedes all of that. After all, what did Notre Dame stand for, if not the human yearning for transcendence and meaning? I may not share a specific religion's theological answers to those questions, but I feel great kinship to the questions themselves. We are brought together by suffering, and we grow as people in how we respond to it. Back in a moment. I want to just take a moment here um, to comment on the writer's um, concept of radical impermanence. Brought to mind for me the concept taught in dialectical behavior therapy on uh, radical acceptance. Um, it's something that can be very difficult to learn to do, feels very strange at first. Uh, it takes a lot of practice. But radical acceptance is about acknowledging reality for what it is. Um, not necessarily liking it, not necessarily contesting it, but simply acknowledging what's really happening so that you can either bring change to it or start to heal. Radical acceptance has nothing to do with being passive or giving up. To the contrary, it's about channeling your energy into moving forward. We'll be right back. Welcome back, dear pod people. This is Kathy Sirline. We're continuing today with our uh, episode number 20 of Wisdom Within. And for our second segment today, we're going to be looking at a great article by Nancy Daly uh, from tinybuddha.com on measuring the quality of your day with a to-be list, not just a to-do list. And Nancy opens her article with a quote from Wayne Dyer. Don't equate your self-worth with how well you do in life. You aren't what you do. If you are what you do, then when you don't, you aren't. Nancy's article begins, 
As you crawl into bed, thump your pillow to make the perfect little cave for your head to rest in, pull the covers up tight under your chin, and let go of that big sigh that indicates the day is finished. How do you look back on the waking hours you just experienced? Do you measure the quality of your day? Most of us will measure our day by what we did. We will reflect back and count the things on the to-do list that we were able to check off. The more check marks, the better. How well we did will also come into play as we reflect back on our doing. The more praise we received for it, either the self-provided kind or that offered by others, the higher we rank our day in terms of quality. We may compare our daily accomplishments to those of the people who trudged through the hours with us. Did I do more or better than Jim, John, or Mary? No matter how much we goofed up, if Mary goofed up more, then we can sigh with relief and call it a good day as we close our eyes for the night. What happens, however, if you never got done what you wanted to get done? Or if what you did was simply more of the same old drudgery that fills most of your days. If you didn't do what you had planned well, or heaven forbid you screwed up royally and had others chastise you for it, chances are you are thumping your pillow a little harder than necessary. Your ability to fall asleep may also be disturbed as you ruminate regretfully over all the things you did that you wish you didn't. Tonight, you may may be giving Mary something to smile about. So is it safe to say you had a bad day when you didn't do enough or do it well enough? Only if that is how you choose to measure life quality, the way I did for most of my life. I have given the Marys of this world plenty to feel good about over the years. I've spent many nights abusing my pillow and tossing and turning, as I reflected back on the dids and did-nots of my waking hours. I spent my days as a checkmark addict, a praise-dependent, and a competitive comparison-seeker. I was compelled to set one goal after the other, to constantly add just one more thing to my mile-long to-do list. I believed I had to do in order to feel like I was enough. So I did, and I did, and I did, and I did, until I could do no more. I got sick. I was forced to cut back on the doing and face the reality of my situation. Now, I consider myself a pathological doer in recovery. Most of us still measure the quality of our daily experiences, the quality of our lives, by what we do. We seldom determine the value of our life experience by how we are or on the beingness of it all. What would, ha- what would happen if we did? What if you and I ignored the urge to check out the check marks on our to-do lists before getting into our PJs and brushing our teeth? What if we sat quietly somewhere before bed and reflected on how we were that day, how we felt, how others seemed to feel around us, rather than what we accomplished and who we did more than. Would the quality of our day change?
I know the quality of my life has changed since I began to measure my day differently. In fact, my life improved almost immediately when I began, at the end of the day, to reflect on the questions that really matter. How was your day really? Were you feeling peaceful and calm at certain points of your day? If so, you can give yourself a lot of points for that. Were you loving and compassionate with Mary when she spilled coffee all over the stuff you were working on? Or did you refrain from honking your horn at the slow driver in front of you that made you 15 minutes late for your appointment? Give yourself even more points if you said yes. Your day score is getting better. Were you mindful and aware of the beauty around you? Did you appreciate it? Did you whisper a few words of gratitude? If so, better still. Did you seek stillness and quiet at some point, for a few minutes at least? Did you take a moment to just breathe and observe the life force within you? Did you reach out a hand of support or offer a few kind words to another? Not because you had it on your to-do list, but because it was something you were inclined to do from the heart. Did you smile often? Did you laugh? Did you find moments of unexpected joy? Did you seek them? Did you love what you were doing? Or most importantly, did you love the people around you? Congratulations. All these things make for a great day. Even if you have big, beautiful check marks beside everything on your to-do list at the end of your 24-hour time block, there may still be some room for, for improvement in the being department. How would you answer the following questions? How was your day, really? Were you tense? Irritable? Stressed out in the process of doing? Were you experiencing rage, impatience, or resentment for more than a few minutes today? Did you complain or criticize a great deal? Did you consciously seek to do more or better than someone else? Were you unkind or unloving to anyone or anything, including yourself? Did you fail to reach out to someone you knew was in need? Did you forget to notice, let alone appreciate, all the beauty of life that was going on around you and in you? If you said yes to a few of those questions, maybe it is time to work on improving the quality of your day and of your life. Don't be too hard on yourself, though. You're not alone. Many of us answer yes those questions if we're being honest most of us spend too many moments of our day diminishing its quality by getting too wrapped up in the doing even in my recovery i find myself slipping from time to time back into unhealthy doing recognizing the problem is the first step to healing the good news is from that awareness we can grow from the less than good days of being we can begin to experience life the way we were meant to, with peace and joy.
The first step is to be more conscious before you drift off to sleep about how you are living your life, regardless of the things you get done or do not get done. Use today as an example. Reflect, learn, and grow from the hours you just experienced. These are steps toward improving the quality of tomorrow. Next, the doing. Of course you have to do something, but prioritize the living component over the doing component for the upcoming 24 hours. Finally, write yourself a to-be list instead of a to-do list for tomorrow. It may look something like this. Tomorrow I will be mindful, aware, peaceful, a person who seeks reasons to smile and laugh, loving, appreciative, forgiving, thoughtful, supportive, still, quiet, faithful, honest, a person who simply wants to be. The quality of your life is determined by who you are, not by what you accomplish. We are, after all, human beings, not human doings. Let's base the value of our day on that small bit of wisdom and live accordingly. Just be. So we have enough time left today, dear listeners, to share with you a piece I found a few days ago, or, or part of it anyway, and this is uh, from uh, an article by Becky Sams on tinybuddha.com about what we practice, we get good at. Here's a little something to reflect on. What habits are currently running your life? What thoughts do you think every single day? And are these serving you or not? We might not think of habits as a practice, but that's exactly what they are. Each and every day we're practicing being the type of people we want to be, whether we realize it or not. My anxiety being, despite being a very real and often ter- often terrifying experience for me, was a habit. I was practicing being the type of person who was constantly stressed out and worried about everything. Nowadays, however, I practice being the type of person who recognizes these thoughts, knows her limits, takes care of herself, and makes a different choice each time her old pal, worry, comes out to play. Think about it. How many times a day do we complain about things not being the way we want them to be? How many times a day do we disengage from connection with others and allow ourselves to be distracted by technology? How many times a day do we worry about things that haven't even happened yet? The answer is likely a lot. We're experts at this stuff. After all, the key to mastering any skill is repetition. If we repeat a specific action enough, eventually we gain fluency and competency. This is why the secret to happiness lies in our daily habits rather than in any magic fixes we think will make us happy. 
So what if we became conscious of the habits that are running our lives and switched them on their heads? What if we started practicing things we actually want to get better at? And what if instead of making some huge life-changing, making it some huge life-changing mission, we simply set the intention to live this way, making small steps toward it wherever we could? Remember, what we practice, we get good at. So with this in mind, here are a few suggestions for habits we could think about to start practicing daily in order to live a happier life. Kindness, compassion, generosity, acceptance, non-judgment, presence, listening, forgiveness, relaxation. The way these look in our lives will be different for everyone, but the intention behind them is the same, to notice our destructive habits and to make a different choice. Personally, I've found three super effective ways to start bringing new practices into our lives. The first is to notice your autopilot. We have to recognize our habitual autopilot mode in order to do something about it. Becoming aware of the way we live our daily life, the choices we make, the people we surround ourselves with, the stories we tell ourselves, these all help us to remember who we really are and what we really want. It also helps us make more conscious decisions about how we act so that we choose our response rather than react out of habit. The best way to do this is to sort of make a, uh, a list, of a mental list even, of all the times you already know you tend to slip into autopilot. For example, you might recognize that you frequently spend your lunch break scrolling through Facebook, and then you end up feeling bad about yourself from comparing yourself to other people. Or you might notice that you regular, regularly worry over worst case scenarios when you're lying in bed at night. Once you're aware of what you're doing, you can commit to making a different choice the next time you're in that situation, practicing a habit that doesn't serve you. I have to be honest here, this takes time. In the beginning, it was difficult for me to recognize when my worry head was on because it felt so natural from doing it so much. But once I started paying more attention to my habitual thoughts and behaviors, I found it easier to switch the script in those moments and instead practice some deep breathing to relax myself or use some other uh, calming tool. Take a moment to think about the times you already know your habitual autopilot self takes over. What could you do in those moments to break that pattern? to re-engage with the world, and to make a different choice. Remember, what we practice, we get good at. The second is to focus on your physical sensations. A great way to practice new habits is to focus on how they make us physically feel in our bodies. I like to think of this in terms of openness, which is expansion, and tightness, which is contraction. I usually feel pretty open and soft in my heart space when I practice kindness, for example, 
and tight and tense in my belly when I practice being rude. Our sense of expansion or contraction in our body can act as a mindfulness shortcut, giving us an easy way to determine what might be going on in our heads. If we focus on how we physically feel in our bodies and the sensations our habits bring up for us, we can really start to distinguish between the, between the ones that currently serve us and the ones that definitely do not. Since our physical sensations often directly relate to emotional experience, it also can provide us with a little motivation to continue practicing the things that make us feel expanded. The issue most of us run into here is that we mostly walk around feeling completely out of touch with our bodies. In fact, it wasn't until I re really started to dive deep into yoga myself that I realized my body was constantly giving me important signals and I was totally ignoring them. The best way to begin to observe your body is to sit in stillness and just notice your body's experience. Even if you just start with a few moments a day, the more you check in with your body, the more you'll be able to tune in to what it's trying to tell you. When I started paying attention to my body, I noticed how different thoughts affected me in completely different ways. My worry made my body feel tight, tense, and achy, for example, whereas calm thoughts made my body feel soft and relaxed and open. This helped to draw my attention to my worrisome thoughts and choose to focus on my breathing in the present moment instead of on whatever my fake reality seemed to be. Start your day by asking yourself one of these questions. How do I want to feel today? What do I want to practice today? How do I want to live today? Then check in with yourself regularly throughout the day. Even set up a reminder on your phone to observe how your body is feeling at a given moment. Pay particular attention to your heart, your solar plexus, and your belly areas. Is there a sense of expansion or contraction? And does this align with how you want to feel? What are you currently practicing? And does this align with what you want to practice? Remember, what we practice, we get good at. We can also practice new habits by, number three, setting an intention. Simply affirming to ourselves that it's our intention to practice. Intentions are perfect because they're designed to be a guideline rather than a goal. With goals, it's far too easy to beat ourselves up if we don't reach them. But with an intention, we can just start over again. If we set an intention to be kind or compassionate or generous, we're also far more likely to jump at opportunities to practice this as we move through our day. It helps us make decisions that are more aligned with the people we want to be since our intention is fresh in our mind when we do our intentions in the morning. Um, so every morning, I listen to a forgiveness meditation, which includes repeating to myself, I see and feel the pain you've caused me, and it's my intention to forgive you. Then as I'm about to go into my day, I remind myself that it's my intention to continue to practice forgiveness. Have I forgiven everyone or myself yet? No, but that's beside the point. 
The point is that every single day I'm practicing. Decide on at least one new habit that you'd like to start practicing. How can you set this intention for yourself each day? How can you remind yourself of this intention when you go off track? Remember, what we practice, we get good at. Well, dear listeners, that will bring us to the close of our 20th episode here on Wisdom Within. So glad that you've been a part of this journey, and we look forward to many great episodes uh, as we as we continue our work. Um, Bella and Biggs are back awake and ready to head outside, so I will bid you adieu for today, reminding folks, as always, those who are in need of urgent assistance, please reach out to your health professionals for guidance and assistance and to your loved ones. Um, We are so thankful that you all uh, continue to tune in and uh, join us on this journey, and we will look forward to talking to you again real soon. Thanks for being here. Take care of yourselves. 